We are just kidding. We are thrilled that you're here today. Uh, let's go ahead and jump in. Stay, remain standing and let's grab our text from our, our verse of scripture. So glad to see you today. Everybody say, Arise and Build. Arise. The title of the message this morning is called Dealing with Outside Opposition. How many of you know, anytime you start something and you make an attempt to accomplish something in your life to get something rebuilt that the enemy has otherwise previously destroyed, how many of you know there's always going to be an opposing voice, an opposing force? You're going to have to learn how to deal with it. Look at your neighbor and say, Deal with it. All right, here's our verse. Let's read together. Everybody out loud. Here we go. Then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper and we his servants will arise and build. God help us this morning as we open this word together. I'm amazed at the depth, the mine of riches, the garden of glory, Lord, the the traveler's map, the soldier's sword, the pilot's compass, the, the word of God is all of these things. Lord, it's bread to the hungry, it's water to the thirsty, Lord, it's comfort to the weary, God, thank you that it's freedom to the enslaved. Lord, thank you that it's healing to the broken. All of these, Lord, we, 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 we're not just looking to a book, but we're looking to a person, and his name is Jesus. Be with us today. Lord, you've already shown us by your spirit in this place how much you love us. Lord, we are overwhelmed. I just acknowledge before you that I'm nothing apart from you. I, I desperately need you, O oh God. Get in the middle of this. Be in my thoughts. Be in my words. Holy Spirit, speak today. Be the teacher. Do what only you can do, God, because I, I can't do it. And God, I ask you that you would be in our hearts as, his, as listeners, as believers. Lord, that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to understand. Lord, eyes to see. Help us to perceive what you would have us open our eyes, Lord, that we can see the wondrous things of your law, even as David prayed in the Psalms. We ask you, Lord, these things in the matchless name of Jesus, everybody said. Amen. You may be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. The peace of the Lord be upon you and also with you. Amen. Um, as we jump in this morning, I have one thing that I want to bring to your attention. One thing is kind of the chorus. The points are like the verses when I preach. And the one thing is like a chorus that we come back and we sing it over and over. And that way we leave with something fresh. There's been a kind of a hole dug in our soul and a seed's been deposited and planted. It's been watered and fertilized and then boom, this thing can grow up into, it can begin to bud and sprout during the week when you're facing a difficulty, and it's amazing how the Spirit of the Lord, to use an old English word, will quicken. That's something my granny used to say, or granddad, talking about the word being quickened to them. Um, And we don't really talk like that anymore. That's King James language. But we talk about, you know, one way we still use it is if you get a hangnail, and you know, you pull that thing off, and you pull it a little bit too far down into the, what's that called in the middle of your nail right there, the quick. You know, that hurts. Why does it hurt? Because it's alive. And so quicken means it makes it alive. The Bible says that if the same spirit that dwells in Christ, that raised him from the dead, dwells also in you, King James says it will quicken your mortal bodies. It'll make you alive. And so I want you to recognize this morning that you're hearing something in this message that is alive. Jesus said in John 6, 63, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Now, there are plenty of parrots in pulpits around the country that are just mocking and mimicking and basically parroting back what somebody else has said. And they're they're speaking it to a congregation of people that the book of Jude says are twice dead and plucked up by the roots. And death is speaking to death, and it's only going to reproduce death. But I'm thankful to God today that just because of the work of the Holy Spirit, and not because we're anybody or anything, that there's life in this house. And there's life... Jesus said, the words that I speak unto you, they are resurrection, they're spirit, and they're life. And so when we hear a word that, that, that has transformative power, that seed, sometimes it may not give an immediate kind of change, but it begins to work. Paul the Apostle said in the book of Colossians, he said, the word works in me mightily. Everybody say mightily. It's another word for the word power in the New Testament. So there's the, the word of God is powerful. So as we... Sing these verses, and as we come back, and every time we reprise, we just sing over and over in this refrain, this chorus, 
the one thing. Read it with me if you would, please. Every God-given vision. I'm sorry, every God-vision. I didn't have given there. That's in my own. Here, let's do it one more time. Every God-vision encounters opposition. Remember who you are and act accordingly. Let's get it one more time. Every God-vision encounters opposition. Remember who you are and act accordingly. I promise, one last time. Let's get it. Every God-vision encounters opposition. Remember who you are and act, whose you are and act accordingly. All right, who is your identity, but whose is the fact that you belong to somebody else. And how many of you know when you get a real good revelation of the fact that you are not your own, but you belong to the king of the universe, it'll make you live differently. It'll make you have a different perspective when you start to recognize whose you are, not just who you are, but whose you are. Remember whose you are and act accordingly. So we, we're grateful for, for the, the realization of these two things, the identity that we have in Christ and the fact that we are his possession. As a matter of fact, the, the Bible says his chosen possession, his peculiar possession. Uh, that's not a biblical justification for being weird. Peculiar in, in that biblical sense means that you belong to God, you're his. As this shirt is peculiar to me, it is mine, okay? Uh, Pastor Jeremy might want it, but it wouldn't look good on him. Because, you know, he's, he's kind of frail, you know, but, you know, so he is svelte, <laughs> lean and mean. <laughs> Every God vision encounters opposition. Remember who you are and act accordingly. So point number one this morning, as we jump in, I want you to see that your enemy has a mouth. How many of you ever dealt with an enemy before, spiritual, emotional, literal, physical, and you realize that sometimes before things escalated, maybe even into an actual physical confrontation, and you actually exchange blows, before that ever happened, there was a verbal exchange. And, and, and usually it is just basically this typical kind of junior high level trash talking kind of stuff. You know, you know that somebody that it has resorted to uh, an attempt to try to degrade when, when the yo mama jokes start coming out. How many remember junior high school? And yo mama so this and yo mama so that. And, and you know, every young man is ready to, to defend his mama. If he's right in his head, he will defend his mama. Because we all love our mama. Somebody say amen. And so I want you to realize that your enemy has a mouth. And um, spiritually, your mama is the church. And the enemy will try to talk about your mama in the same kind of ways that the junior high thug and the bully out on the, the basketball court or the football field or the track or wherever you were hanging out or in the band room or wherever else for that matter was trying to put you down. And so we have a very real enemy and he has a mouth. He can move us with words. And don't you think for one second that that thing your mama taught you when you were a little kid has any truth to it. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's the biggest lie that our parents ever did tell us. Because words have the power to do much more damage than a stick or a stone ever could. Because you can get healed from the bruise from the stone or from, from the, the cut from the stick. Uh, and, 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 and your body has these natural restorative regenerative powers that God created for it to do so that a wound will heal up. And there may be a scar there, but there's no more wound. There's no more open opportunity for infection. But there's something that happens in our emotions, in our soul, in, in our psyche when people start hurling words at us, and especially when we've heard them repeatedly over and over and over and over in our lives, possibly growing up by a parent who himself or herself might have been emotionally or verbally or physically abused. God forbid. And so many times it comes from people not just that are opposing us out of jealousy or out of pride or out of hatred outside. Sometimes it comes even from within the house, even when, within our own family, uh, these kinds of words that are, that are diminutive, that are, that are diminishing, that are destroying. They, they subtract from us. They withdraw from our emotional account. And you have a very real enemy in the kingdom of God. His name is Satan. He is called diabolos, Greek word, which means 
to hurl through. Dia means through, balas is ball, and so the diabolical one is one who will take a ball of flaming, fiery accusation and hurl it right through the middle of your mind. And I want you to realize that sometimes the greatest battles are fought not on the fields where men carry swords and guns, but they're fought in the minds of men before they ever go on the battlefield. And you need to recognize that your enemy is very aware. We as people of God need to be not ignorant of Satan's schemes and his devices. And we need to be able to deal with and protect ourselves according to what the scripture calls the armor of God. Put on the helmet of salvation. The helmet protects the head. And we want to begin to thank God that salvation covers my thinking. That I can learn to put down the improper thoughts and I can take up the thoughts of God by putting the word of God in my heart and in my mouth. Come on somebody, this is pretty good already. Your enemy has a mouth. And I want you to look with me to Nehemiah chapter 4. We've been building the wall. We've had rubble all over the place. 70 years of captivity in the Babylonian Empire. It's been 90 since we've been coming back. The Persian king is in charge now. The Babylonian Empire fell and Artaxerxes is on the throne. The Persians are ruling the world. And uh, basically, we've got a guy who's been sent back home, a faithful Jew who has the favor of God given to him by the king. He begins as a cupbearer, but he goes back to his homeland, and he's there to rebuild. He's a cupbearer who becomes a builder. He enters construction. He gets a new business. He, he makes a transition in his life out of one career into another. He's no longer a cupbearer, but he's going to become Nehemiah the rebuilder. He's going to be a reconstructionist in order to uh, see the law of God and the protection, the security of the Lord restored to the city of Jerusalem. God had sent Ezra, the faithful scribe, into Jerusalem 12 years prior who saw the restoration of right worship and the honor of God and the right placement of the word of the Lord, the law of God among the people. And so Ezra had been raised up after being faithful to commit himself to study and to obey and to teach the people of God the law of the Lord. Everybody say the word of the Lord. Now when we talk about the law, there are a couple of ways that we can interpret that. It is the specific commandments of God or it can be generally spoken of as just the larger word of the Lord. Because the law of the Lord is God's word. It's his spoken character. It's his character that has been expressed in language that people are, are intended, God intends for them to understand, to perceive, to, to grab hold of. And so in the middle of this, we, we begin to read here in Nehemiah chapter 4. We've got an enemy. His name is Sanballat. He is the governor of Samaria. Samaria is Israel. It's the larger ten tribes that basically didn't remain faithful to Solomon's son. And they separated and they never had a revival. They entered into all kinds of idolatry, worship in all kinds of sex cults, the worship of Baal, the worship of Ashtoreth, the worship of Molech. All of them are intensely perverse cults that become part of the fabric of, of Israel. Judah is tempted, runs into it back and forth, has a revival, lays it down, picks it back up again, has a revival, lays it down. When you read to the history of the kings of Israel, they never had a revival. There wasn't a good king on the throne. They were all evil. But when you read of Judah, the two tribes to the south, remember there are 12 total, the two tribes in the south, Judah and Benjamin, which is where Jerusalem is, they remain faithful to the law of the Lord, and they have good kings. They have revival. You've got Josiah and Hezekiah, and, and without, I'm chasing my history rabbit right now, and I've got to really kind of get focused back in. But Sanballat is a governor in Israel. So already you see that there's some animosity. If you'll remember in the Gospels, in John chapter 4, Jesus uh, heads to Jerusalem and he goes through Samaria, which usually faithful Jews would, would go around. They would, they would take an extra day's journey to avoid going through Samaria or the northern ten tribes of Israel because those were considered to be a mixture, a mixed breed They'd intermarried among all the other nations of the earth that were around them. Not so much the, the problem of, of, of marrying someone else from a different race, but it was the fact of what happens when you do that. You end up worshiping the gods of your new spouse. And that was the real issue that the Lord had with them in doing that. And so Jerusalem begins to cry out to God. They've rebuilt the temple after 
after the exile, after the Babylonian captivity, the, the, the temple has been rebuilt. The right kind of worship is restored. And so we're putting God back in the right place, getting the word priority in our lives. These are spiritual lessons. They're physical things historically took place, but we see a spiritual application of them in our lives because we look back to the Old Testament through the lens of Christ and then we begin to see that Christ is the fulfillment of all of those yearnings of thousands of years and the promises that have been given. And so now we all of a sudden begin to see Christ all over those stories because I look back through the lens of the Messiah who has come. We don't long for one to come. He's already come. Come on, somebody. As a matter of fact, he's had several comings. He came historically, but he has had a personal coming when he came into your heart. Some of you don't even realize it, but you've already had the coming of the Lord in your life. Now, we as the church still long for the reappearing, the physical appearing, the coming of the Lord. And I thank God that that day is ahead of us. I don't know the hour or the time, but I'm thankful that right now the Lord's already come in my heart. Come on, somebody. So the coming of the Lord's already happened to my life. I can die right now and I can know that I'm going to be in his presence because he's already come. Come on, somebody. As a matter of fact, I just want to tell you this. If you re ever realize the power of walking in a relationship with the Holy Spirit, you realize that there are many comings of the Lord. When He will re-baptize re you, He'll pour His Spirit out on you again. He'll refill you with His Spirit. Whoop, there's another coming of the Lord. Hallelujah. Somebody's hearing that. Man, i got to get started. Help me, Lord. Sanballat was very angry when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a what? Say it. To a rage and he mocked the Jews. Everybody say trash talking on the job site. I'm going to tell you the devil's the trash. He is the original trash talker. He has all the yo mama jokes memorized. He can tell you how low down, no good, what a family that you came from and who do you think you are that you're ever going to get up out of that mess that your daddy was and your granddaddy was and your great granddaddy was and you're destined to be the same kind of failure that's always been in your whole family. He knows your history, and he, he can talk trash better than anybody else. And so Sanballat is out here, and he's angry, and he's in a rage, and he's mocking the Jews. Because why? Because the Jews are doing something. They've decided to quit laying around in the status quo. They've decided to just quit being comfortable the way things is, the way they have been all these years. Because it's so easy sometimes to just sit back and begin to accept reality when God wants you to think bigger than that. He says in front of his friends and the Sumerian army officers, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? Who do they think they are? Do they think they can build the wall in a single day just by offering a few sacrifices? Obviously, he was so moved by the intense amount of cooperation that was going on. First of all, that just doesn't happen. It's got to be a miracle. It's got to be a, a work from God. I remember my, my friend one time, Bob Mumford, had, had the pleasure of ministering with him over the years, great charismatic Bible teacher in the 60s and the 70s. And when he used to quote Matthew 18, which says this, if two or three of you are gathered in my name, there I will be in your midst. Bob used to say it this way. He said, he said really what the Lord meant to say was, if two or three of you can just get together, I'll show up just to see it. <laughs> now, <laughs> How I many of you know what Bob was trying to emphasize is there is this incredibly independent spirit among Christians, a sectarian spirit. Where this group thinks they're the only one that's going to be in heaven. God help them. This group thinks they got their theology better. This group thinks they got more of the spirit. How many, how many of you know what I'm talking about? So when, when, when Sanballat sees all of these feeble Jews deciding to finally get their act together, he grows into a rage and starts mocking he says, do they actually think that they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap, charred ones at that? Everybody say burnt stones. Everybody in this room has been burnt in one way or another. You've either been burnt by sin, you've been burnt by a relationship that went bad, you've been burnt by a church situation where somebody strong-armed you and offended you and hurt you. Everybody's been burnt and 
to some degree, we've been kicked out of the wall. If you'll notice this week, there's a little bit less rubble than there was, and we're starting to see some progress. It was all over the place last week, but there, you can see there's a little bit of progress in the wall that it's being gradually built. And, and, and yesterday, we got more accomplished today than we did yesterday, and we're looking forward to tomorrow because we're going to keep on one stone at a time, reaching into the delta and listening with our spiritual ears so that God will give us an opportunity to speak a word of comfort to our brothers and sisters in the delta that are burnt stones that need to be built back into the wall of the city of Jerusalem. Come on, that's so good. Oh, my. And, and here comes Tobiah the Ammonite. You get Sanballat talking. He's always got some, somebody who's going to tag team match with him. So you, you, you get the enemy talking, and he's always got some little devils that'll join with him. Here comes Tobiah the Ammonite who was standing beside him. He remarked, why that stone wall would collapse if even a fox just trotted across the top of it? If a fox ran across it, it would just crumble all to pieces. Now, can you imagine when you're in the middle of the work, and you've got some influential, powerful people out here. You're down in the trenches sweating, and you've got a vision, and you're pouring your heart out. You're trying to be faithful, getting up early in the morning and you're praying and you're trusting God and you're going and seeing those accounts and dealing with your clients and you're trying to build your business or you're, you're going the extra mile and you're, 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 you're loving sometimes the family when it's unlovable and you're trying to rebuild the, the structure, the, 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 the security, the blessing of God in your family and you start hearing somebody trash talk it. It's demeaning, it's demoralizing. And so what I want you to see, three things very quickly... Number one, it's just real easy to criticize. Visions are easy to criticize. Because when you start something, there's always a lot of hiccups. There's some mistakes. And, and, and it's far better to get up and start moving and then have to correct along the way and make a mistake than it is to just lay there in the middle of all the junk and the rubble and the status quo that you've been in. You know nothing's going to change if you don't get up and act. If you get up and act, you probably are going to make a mistake. You're going to put a stone in the wrong place. You're going to offend somebody. And you know what? You just say, please forgive me. My intentions are right. Make it right and get up and go back to putting another stone into the right place. Visions are easy to criticize. I, I'm, I'm rarely interested in hearing anything that critics have to say if they're not invested. If you don't have dust from handling stones on your hands... I don't care what you say, how you criticize. I'm not going to give it any merit. Let me just say this right now. I have nothing in mind. But if you, I, I'm, I'm a reasonable person and I can sit down. If there's something that we've done around here or doing and you're struggling with it, come talk to us. We're approachable. We're open. We're open to suggestions. We, we, we don't feel like that we are the only channel that God provides vision and the voice of the Lord for what we do around here. Sometimes if you have a problem with something, if you would just come and we can sit down together and maybe hear what you're wanting to bring, it may help us improve what we're doing if you've got an idea. But don't sit back and just mouth about it. And don't send me an email. Well, first of all, you can't do it without unless you set up a fake account. But, but, but don't, don't waste your time writing down on a prayer card a complaint if you're not willing to sign your name. That's just, I don't, I don't even read anonymous criticism. Not going to pay any attention to it. Come on, man up. Look at your neighbor. Say, man up. Come on, put your big girl panties on. You got it. If you're offended, let's deal with it. Let's, let's, be, let's be spiritual adults and let's deal with it. And not just, first of all, Benjamin Franklin says anybody can criticize. He said any fool can criticize. And he said most fools do. Visions are easy to criticize. I, I want to stay there, but I need I to move on. Visions are difficult to defend against criticism. There's just, there are things that are wrong. There's a mess. We're dealing with lives of people. We, we, we make mistakes. Nobody on this team is infallible. And, 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 and sometimes in our, in our best efforts to try and to help people, sometimes along the way we disappoint. We don't deliver these, the set of expectations. And sometimes that's not what we delivered. Sometimes it's your expectations are unreasonable. Folk expect things of preachers they don't expect of anybody else in the world. Oh, don't shout me down. I know what I'm talking about. Come on. Come on. They're folk, they're, I don't think there's anybody in this room. It's probably the 1045 service that I'm talking about. Nobody here, but, but, but you know, they're folk that think I need to be your banker, that I need to be your lawyer, that I need to be your doctor, that I need to be your counselor. And be sure and let me come when it's on my good time. I've got to leave that alone. 
Visions often die at the hands of the critics. I want you to realize that the enemy has a mouth. Revelation chapter 12 talks about the dragon that released a flood out of its mouth in an attempt to drown the woman pregnant with the man-child in the wilderness. I'm preaching from Revelation chapter 12, and everybody's going, ooh, book of Revelation. Wow. And first of all, I don't believe it's a literal dragon. I believe the dragon is Satan. And I believe, first of all, how many, every dragon that you've ever heard about in, in history, mythologically, has been a fire-breathing dragon, not a water-spitting dragon. So, I mean, it's, it's just a metaphor, okay? But he's got a flood that he releases trying to drown. Now, those, that flood of his mouth, his words, he's trying to drown you in all of those negative accusations because you're about to birth something. You're... It's not just Mary carrying Jesus in the wilderness historically, but it's the church right now pregnant with the next move of God. It's you personally carrying expectation and vision and you're pregnant with what God wants to birth through your life and through your family and through your home and you're trusting God for champions, for children that you can keep out of jail, that, 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 that have got a vision for their future. And in the middle of it, they're struggling like teenagers do. And here comes the dragon. He's got a flood, a river where he's trying to drown you in, in the accusation and all this negative trash talking. I'm helping somebody in this room this morning. I love it. I love it. The only thing that will conquer the flood of the dragon's mouth is the power that is in the name of Jesus. Everybody say, in Jesus' name. That's not a magical incantation. It is a declaration of words that grabs the attention of heaven. In the name of Jesus, you are saying, I have been given the power of attorney. I have been given the opportunity as a part of the family of God. I now, by the power of attorney, have the ability to rightfully use the name of Jesus in the heavenly court of law, and in Jesus' name, I bind that dragon and all of the loosing of all of that flood of words in Jesus' name, and I speak that you shut your mouth. Now, we're not talking a literal fire-breathing, water-spitting dragon. We're talking about something that you can be laying down in your bed at night, and the dragon flies over your bed. Some of you are not counting sheep. You're counting dragons at night. How many know what I'm talking about? And the problem is, is that way back in the genesis of your experience, he slithered in as a serpent and you didn't take the hoe of the word to him and kill him. And you kept feeding that serpent and before you know it, by the time you get to the revelation of your life, the serpent has become a dragon. It's going to take a whole army to defeat him. But how many of you know we are that army of God? We're going to stand together. Number two, number two, wisdom has a right response. Let's get this. Here comes all this accusation, all this flood of negativity. Look what Nehemiah did. Everybody say the first three words. Then I prayed. I love that. Listen, we have to take the prayer offense instead of immediately retaliating with defense. We have to take the prayer offense. We have to go before God first. Wisdom has a right response. The last thing you need to do is get in a tit-for-tat when somebody else is trying to verbally put you down. And you know what? You, you are not less of a man when you walk away from a fight because you can do more in your prayer closets than you can ever do with a doubled-up fist. Although I will tell you this, this story, I'm going to take time to chase this rabbit. I've been haunted in the second grade by a kid that bullied me. And I'm, I'm a little Christian. I'm in church. I'm, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm already by this point playing music in church. I'm a little fat boy sitting on the organ and I'm playing. And, and, and I'm, I'm being bullied at school. And finally, one day I got tired of it. I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you, I could take 20 minutes to tell this story, but I'm going to give it to you in the next 30 seconds. One day I finally got tired of it and I had been praying for God to help me and a friend had come along, big, big, taller guy and had befriended me and he was defending me. And so I, every time that this kid would try to bully me, that friend would come around and kind of push him back and I thought, hey man, this is great. God, thank you for providing, you know. <laughs> and you know, finally one day I thought, there's going to be a time when he's going to catch me and big boy's not going to be around and I'm going to have to deal with this. And this is what I said, and I don't want to offend anybody. I was a second grader, 
And I finally got mad enough one day that I stood out there, and everybody's gathering around because they knew that Big Boy wasn't there to defend little fat Mike. And so I looked at this kid, and I'm going to change the name, and I, so I said, okay, Ken, I'm going to tell you what I'm about to do. And I'm, I'm in the second grade now. I said, I'm about to beat the hell out of you in the name of Jesus. Now, I hope that you don't get mad at me. But how many of you know there's a time when the, the appropriate usage, and God knows I'm telling the truth. If I'm lying, I'm dying. I tell, right now, before the throne of God, I looked at him in the second grade. I said, I'm about to beat the hell out of you in the name of Jesus. And I went and lunged toward him, grabbed him around the neck, and threw him on the ground, and I got up and jumped on him. You know, there's a way you can take what everybody else thinks is a disadvantage and you can use it to your advantage. I ended up cracking his rib. I was sorry about that. He had to go to the emergency room, but did, do you know that change name Kenny never did bother me again? How many of you know sometimes, I'm not saying you just always pray. Sometimes you've you got to pray and take up arms, and I want you to see. Sometimes you've got to look at the devil and say, I'm about to beat the out of you in the name of Jesus. Then I prayed, hear us, our God, for we are being mocked. May their scoffing fall back on their own heads, and may they themselves become captives in a foreign land. Now, Nehemiah ain't playing. He's praying what we call an imprecatory prayer. He's, he's weaving captivity around the enemy in the name of Jesus, speaking, God, tie them up. Lord, make their wives be childless. I mean, he's just praying all kinds of curses down on him. He says, do not ignore their guilt. Don't blot out their sins, for they have provoked you to anger here in front of the builders. They've insulted the builders. The people that are doing the work, they're trying to demoralize the builders. Nehemiah was concerned about the builders. I'm going to tell you something. I'm, I'm going to tell you something. I'm, I'm behind the team of this church, the people that are doing the building, the people that are in the trenches, the people that are sacrificing their lives, the people that are giving their time and their talent and their treasure. Somebody's just here and they're not invested and you just got a criticism. Hey, I love you and I'll pray for you, but I'm not going to give you any attention. But you insult one of my builders and you're going to provoke something. I'm, I'm behind the team. Get on the team. Be part of the team. Get invested. It's too easy to criticize when you're not invested. At last, the wall was completed to half its height around the entire city for the people had worked with enthusiasm. Another translation says the people had a mind to work. How many of you know, no matter what the circumstances are, sometimes you just have to go on and fight the battle through and go, nope, I just got to power through this. I got to keep my mind right. I got to have my mind set. My soul has to be like a flint so that my determination is we're not going to quit till we see the victory in this thing. And just like you're seeing a little less rubble and a little bit of organization here, every day they would start to see more progress in the wall. And they looked around and before they knew it, it was up to half its height. Oh, i got to move. When Sanballat, Tobiah, Arabs, Ammonites, Ashdodites heard the, gap, the work was going ahead and that the gaps, everybody say the gaps, the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired, they were furious. It, there's not a person in this room who doesn't have a gap somewhere in your life where what you're called to be and what you currently are, there's a gap between the two. We're all living in the in-between the now and the not yet. I'm not what I used to be. I'm not what I'm going to be. But thank God, I'm in, the, I'm in this process. I, God is transforming me. And I'm living in the gap. And when I start to connect by agreement to others and I begin to make up the hedge, I begin to intercede and I begin to stand in the gap, hallelujah, then the enemy gets furious. And you, you, you can't be in a place of inactivity and be a, be a gap maker. You've got to get in between and you've got to make up the difference. And the enemy gets upset that the gaps are being repaired in your lives. And so they make plans. Everybody say made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and to throw us into confusion. If they can't do it with their words, then they're going to show up and try to actually bully us physically. Which is what the enemy will do. He'll try to hurl words at you. And if that doesn't bring you into confusion, you're going to wake up with a new ache and a pain somewhere you didn't have. And here comes another, another attack of the enemy, and he's going to make plans to... Just, you know, throw a, a wrench in the machinery of things that you got going on. Come on, let's go quickly. But we prayed. Everybody say, we prayed. What was the verse back up above in verse 4? Then I prayed. What does this one say? 
but we prayed. How many of you know that if the leader doesn't pray, the people aren't going to? Now, I'm going to tell you right now, if you've got people sitting in this room and you want your kids to love God, do you act like you do? You want your children to be people who will put God first and you want them to be, grow up and to be men and women of prayer? Are you a man of prayer? Do you lead your home? Is there a time when it's, it's, it, your plans have been frustrated and you demonstrate to the family by influence that you say, no, I'm going to pray? Because I promise you they're going to do what you do, not what you say. Well, son, you ought to pray. Well, dad, I don't ever remember a time seeing you do that. How do you do that? When I pray, then we learn how to pray. When parents pray, children go up in an grow up in an environment where they're going to know how to pray. Man, I'm preaching too good here. Come on, somebody say amen. I love this, but we prayed to our God and we guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. I just want to say this right here. It's real easy to kind of get super spiritual and just think all you need to do is pray. But the, another translation says we prayed to the God of heaven and we set a post, we set a guard. I remember years ago we were way down on Broadway in a little shoebox church in a little 1,500 square foot bay and we had... We had some friends from Jackson, Tennessee who brought thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars of equipment, new keyboards, and we had all that sitting in that little bay. And the bay next to us got broken into, and I was a little bit concerned. We had renter's insurance. So I just called and had a, an alarm system installed. And, you know, it was, I think at the time, maybe $1,000 or so for all the equipment and, you know, 20 bucks a month or 30 bucks a month or whatever. It wasn't a whole lot because it was over 20 years ago. And somebody said, well, pastor, why, why did you do that? Why didn't you just pray? I said, I did. But I took them to this scripture right here. When you're dealing with very real crime, how many of you know you better pray and arm yourself? Now, I don't know how you're going to interpret that. Some of you might go find a gun show this afternoon. I don't know. This crowd, I don't doubt. I'm never too worried because there are more folks secretly packing heat in this room in both services than you can, you can shake a stick at. Come on, I'm telling you. Second Amendment. Let's talk about Nehemiah chapter 4. They prayed and they took up arms. And there are folks that say all you need to do is pray. And it's foolhardy to not do what God's given you the ability to do. Everybody say protect ourselves. Come on. Now, it's also foolish to be independent from God and think that you can do it all by yourself and not pray. It was the Puritans that said it this way. Pray like it all depends on God and work like it all depends on you. How many of you know you need both? Too many times we, 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 we have a dichotomy and an either or, and it's both and. I need to pray, and I need to get up and protect myself. I need to lock and load it and put the safety on and have it where I can get a hold of it. Now, whatever that is for you, you interpret that. It may be a, a big dog. It may be an alarm system. It may be a 9 millimeter. It may be a baseball bat at the corner of your edge of your bed. I don't know what. How many of you know you need to be wise? Everybody say, wisdom has a right response. We need to be wise. i got to move on. The people of Judah began to complain. Man, I don't have time. i got to just get it. The workers are getting tired. There's so much rubble. You start a project, you're going to tear up more than you had torn up before you started. Just, just do a renovation project in your house. You're going to create a bigger mess than you had before you started. But that's part of it. When God gets you into the trenches and starts working on you, it's going to be a mess. But you know what? That's when God goes into his, his divine heavenly garage. He's got you up on his project workbench. And guess what? He's making your mess into a message. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody put your hands together. And they're discouraged, which is what happens when you let the words of the enemy hang around too long. That stuff starts to spread. It moves from the enemy to the minds of the workers. And the Jewish people, the Judah folks start to complain and they start to doubt whether they can do it. Verse 11, move on. Meanwhile, our enemies were saying, before they know what's happening, we will swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. The Jews who live near the enemy came and told us again and again, they will come from all directions and attack us. So they're, they're, they're terrorized. They've, they've got a high orange alert. Homeland security is locked down. TSA at the airport is just patting everybody down. I mean, it's, they're, they're scared. There's all kinds of stuff that's happening. 
And so he says, so I placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall in the exposed areas. I stationed people to stand guard by what? Look, you want to help this city change? Then rise up and get the word of God in your house. Every family in the church. Stand guard by families. Stand guard on your block. Pray for your block. Pray for your school. Pray for your job. Pray for your employer. Pray for your business owner. Stand guard in the office. Doesn't mean you have to be an obnoxious Bible thumper, but it means there may come a time that you graciously deliver a witness for who Jesus is in an office where nobody talks about him. So you need to be ready to give an answer with meekness and gentleness, the Bible says, of the reason of the hope that is in you is what the Bible declares. And they were armed with swords and spears and bows. Now, uh, okay, jump on to point number three. Uh, that was under this one. Battling and building at the same time. And i got to finish here in about five. Um, as we look at these, and I close this message this morning, this is the challenge. This is what is so difficult. And, and what I have up here in front of me is a trowel in one hand. And I had Pastor Haley get on Amazon.com, and she ordered a sword. Well, I thought it would be something pretend. Y'all, that's sharp enough. That'll cut paper. And, and so we're at, we're at our general staff meeting on Wednesday, and they said, you better not get too animated because you, you could hurt somebody with that thing. I said, no, I may come down and say, I told you to say Amen. <laughs> Josh got a little big-eyed there for a second. <laughs> I want you to see that the sword in Scripture, Ephesians 6, 17, says that it is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. Now, I'm not going to pretend like I have the ability to sling this thing this morning because I'd probably end up hurting myself, not you. But the point is that thing is sharp. Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is sharp, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and the marrow. And the Bible says it's a discerner of the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. So if I can take the sword of the spirit and not wield it like a madman, but I can wield it responsibly and with wisdom and the sword becomes a scalpel, and it will cut away the accusing voice of the enemy, and I can arise, and I can put him down. I can deal with him when the attack comes. Then guess what? I can keep building. I can keep spreading some mortar and seeing some restoration to the burnt stones that God is bringing back to me in my vision, in my project. And the crazy thing is, is you've got to learn how to battle with one hand and build with the other. Because every time you start to build, the enemy's always, everybody say always. Everybody say it's not if, but it's when. And the point is, you're going to have to learn how to deal with the attack of the enemy. You're going to have to battle with one hand and build with the other. Because when you start to build, the enemy will always do everything he can to throw you into confusion. Remember that phrase? He'll, he'll give it to you by words. He'll show up and try to bully you, try to attack you. Now, let me put this thing away before I hurt myself because it truly is sharp. If you want to look at it up here, don't, don't let a little kid come look at it. Let's have a parent. I'll, I'll be happy for you to see it after service. All right, this is what I want to grab. Verse 14, we're battling and building at the same time. I looked over the situation. I called them together, the nobles, the rest of the people, and I said to them, don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord. Everybody say, remember the Lord. It says, remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. And the reason he would do this is because when we start to collectively remember, what's our chorus in this thing? Every God vision has opposition. Remember whose you are and act accordingly. Say that last part with me. Remember whose you are and act accordingly. It says, remember the Lord and fight for your brothers and your sons and your daughters and your wives and your homes. Look at verse 15 on the screens. When our enemies heard that we knew of their plans and that God had frustrated them, we all returned to our work on the wall. 
that's what a good encouraging word happens. That's, that's when I know that I am dismayed. I am discouraged and I call a brother and there's something in his voice that begins to remind me. It begins to cause me to recollect. It causes me to begin to remember. Remember. What did, what did Becky sing this morning? I will rest in your promises because you are faithful. I start to remember how good God is, how he loves me. He's a hurricane and I'm a tree. He's bowling me over and I start to remember and meditate. And as I start to remember, I, I all of a sudden get some strength and I get refocused and I get back up and go back to the work on the wall. Come on, somebody. Verse 16. But from then on, only half my men worked while the other half stood guard with spears, shields, bows, coats of mail. The leaders. Everybody say the leaders. Now listen. If you're going to have a crew at work, if you're going to have a family as a parent, you're going to have to get behind. You're going to have that doesn't mean that you're actually physically standing behind them, but it means that you're supporting them, that you're undergirding them. Leaders come on, bring a word of encouragement, and you help folk to remember the Lord and the reason they're there to fight for their families. What I'm getting behind you this morning, I'm standing up behind you in what you're about to go out to fight this week. Because I'm showing you what God has called you to do and reminding you so that you can remember. The leaders stationed themselves, verse 17, who were building the wall. The laborers carried on their work. Here it is, with one hand supporting their load and one hand holding a weapon. The great Baptist pastor, Metropolitan Tabernacle in London, England, Charles Spurgeon, had a, a, a newsletter that he wrote for years, printed, uh, called the sword and the trowel because he was attempting to rebuild the culture in the United Kingdom and Great Britain. He was attempting to bring a message, a word that would impact not just sinners to be saved, but that would be, uh, eventually rebuild society around them. And so there, there are people, laborers, that are they got, a, they got a tool in one hand and they've got a weapon in the other. They've got a sword, they're battling on one hand and they're building with the other. It says, and all the builders, verse 18, had a sword belted to their side. The trumpeter stayed with me to sound the alarm. Everybody say the trumpeter. I want to get that and we're going to grab and move quickly. Verse 19, then I explained to the nobles and the officials and all the people, the work is very spread out and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Verse 20, when you what? When you hear the blast of the trumpet, rush to where it's sounding. Look at this. Then what will happen? then our God will fight for us. Now, this is what I want you to see. This trumpet is not, in this message, it's a historically literal tin horn. And all the people here, and they rush to the aid. Now, how can I apply this in my life? This is not a Gabriel's silver trumpet horn that's being sounded. The, the book of Revelation, we need to realize that before we woodenly interpret everything literally, we need to see that there is a spiritual application or a metaphor there. What you don't realize is that I'm trumpeting right now. I'm sounding a message that's declaring your life doesn't have to stay the same. I'm telling you that God loves you and he's on your side. Come on, somebody. I'm telling you that every God vision has opposition and you need to remember whose you are and then act accordingly. Come on, somebody. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because the, the trumpet sounds and the dead rise. I believe in a future resurrection when a trumpet will sound and the dead will come out of the graves. But I want to tell you every Sunday morning I sound a trumpet and some dead person comes alive in Christ in this room. Those that are dead spiritually are coming alive in these services because uh, you've got a faithful trumpeter that's standing up here and going, let's rush to the side of this one. It's a burnt stone who God needs to move in their lives. Are you hearing what I'm telling you this morning? Some of you never heard the Bible like that. Man, that's, that's making sense. I, that, that's it. Yeah, that's truth. It rings on the inside of me. Wow. He says, rush to the side. Then our God will fight for us. How do you know when we all get together, there's something about unity? Just show up. Bible says, you know what? If you can just all get together, I'll show up to see it. There's a great way that we can run to each other. Get on the frontline prayer ministry. Text in that number. Sound the trumpet, I have a need. Guess what? we got people that are immediately going to rush, rush to your spiritual side. They may be at work in a cubicle in East Memphis somewhere. Maybe sitting in the office of one of the, one of the church offices. They may be managing at Walmart like Carol Daigle, part of our prayer ministry, who runs the frontline prayer ministry. But what I'm telling you is, is there a gap in the wall where you're fighting? All you've got to do is text those 
what, 10 little numbers, an area code, and a seven-digit phone number, and just go pray for me. And as soon as you pray, we're praying right then. We, I got one this week for Aunt Pat, for a nephew with a, with a kidney transplant situation. And boom, immediately, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray right now, oh God, over this situation. And I want you to know that you have a need. There is a way that our church is rushing right to your side. We won't be there physically, but we're with you in the spirit. How many of you know that's more important anyway? 21, and let me finish. We worked early and late from sunrise to sunset. Half the men were always on guard. I told everyone living outside the walls to stay in Jerusalem. That way they, they and their servants could help with guard, the guard duty at night and work during the day. Verse 23, last one. During this time, everybody say, none of us. None of us, not I, nor my relatives, nor my servants, nor the guards who were with me ever took off our clothes. Well, first of all, pew. <laughs> but let's get beyond that. We're talking about the clothes of Ephesians 6. We're talking about the armor of God. You better keep your war clothes on. I, when, when I really need to encourage myself, I tune in Smoky Norfolk on my, 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 my playlist. And he was doing some old school old school gospel music this week and he says I'm a soldier in the army of the Lord I'm a soldier in the army come on I'm a soldier in the army of the Lord I'm a soldier in the army in the next verse he says I've got my war clothes on in the army of the Lord got my war clothes on in the army and so I'm just driving down the road and my Jeep's bumping man I'm telling you and I'm getting dressed I'm getting dressed up in my war clothes look at your neighbor and say get your war clothes on and don't take them off <laughs> you know what, we're not talking about something that needs to run through the wash in the washing machine. Your war clothes, you'll be washed by the water of the word. Matter of fact, some of you are going through the rinse cycle right now. We're about to put you in the dryer as we send you out the door here. Your, your war clothes are being rinsed because you've, you've sat here long enough to get a little bit of encouragement. Come on. I got my war clothes on in the army of the... Yes, now keep your war clothes on all week long. Don't just show up on Sunday morning and go, okay, I'm going to put on my helmet of salvation and take the sword of the Spirit. 99% of the time, you don't need war clothes in this room. This is where we gather to make plans and huddle up and, and strategize and talk about what we're going to have to battle out there all week long. Keep, get your clothes on and keep your clothes on. We carried our weapons with us at all times, even when we went for water. Don't ever lose your readiness. Man, I'm over. Stay alert. I'm going to tell you, this, this is easy to preach because this word is so, it's so rich. It's, there's so much here. And I've honestly just scratched the surface this morning. I want to thank you for, for bearing with me because there's nothing that excites me like the word of God. But I got I to bring this thing down. I'm already over. So let's pray.